Dr. Francis Collins successfully explained to my viewers in a minute and 40 seconds how he mapped the human genome and why that was significant. <laughs> so I give you about the same amount of time to explain how your faith informs your science. A tough challenge, uh, Kathleen. It's a privilege to be on a panel with such distinguished uh, presenters. And those of you listening to this, this conversation could probably not happen anywhere on the planet except right here. This is a very interesting aspect of this particular year's meeting. I have had the privilege of leading the effort that read out the three billion letters of the human DNA instruction book, The Human Genome, working with thousands of scientists from all over the world. That is leading us in a fashion that I think we're all very excited about and that has been referred to already this morning in terms of personalized medicine. The idea that each of us will be able, in the not too distant future, not only to know a little bit about various variants in our Y and uh, chromosome or our mitochondria, but maybe our entire genome for less than $1,000 is a very, very real possibility in the course of the next 10 or 15 years. So how are we going to deal with all that information? I'm also, though, in the 40% of my colleagues who believe in a God to whom one can pray in expectation of an answer. I'm a believer. I was not always so. I would have been very comfortable uh, with Professor Dawkins and Dennett's positions until I was 27, because I was an atheist uh, for most of my younger life. And what brought me to a change in that view was a realization that I'd never really considered the evidence for and against faith. And so when challenged about that while I was a medical student, I decided I ought to know a little bit more about what exactly faith represents. And I discovered that many of my ideas about what faith is were actually caricatures of the real thing. In my view, faith only is defensible if it carries with it an intellectual logic and rationale. But you can't get all the way to faith purely on the basis of intellect. There still has to be that leap where you make that decision. But certainly, I would agree with what's already been said. What matters here is the truth. Either there is a God or there is not. If there is not, then let's not waste our time spending uh, all these conversations and, and altering our lives in accordance with that assumption. But if there is, there can be no more important reality in any of our lives than that. What I realized is that science is not really an effective way to approach that question. Science explores the natural world. It is the only way to understand the natural world effectively. Its tools are designed for that. If God exists, then God cannot, in my view, be enclosed by the natural world. God is at least in part outside of that. And that tells you that the tools of science are not going to be effective in determining his existence or lack thereof. There must be other ways to pursue that. One of the compelling arguments which I continue to be drawn to, and which was put forward for me most effectively by the Oxford scholar, C.S. Lewis, is the argument about the moral law. Why is it that we, of all the creatures on the planet, have this knowledge of what is right and wrong, even though we regularly don't adhere to that law, but we know it, and that's true of all cultures down through history? What is that about? Because I think one can argue that that moral law sometimes calls you to do things that are absolutely contrary to what Darwinian evolution would expect of you in terms of propagating your own DNA. And I find that to be a very interesting argument. I would not hang my faith on it, but I think it's an interesting argument. For me, science is one way of knowing. Faith is another way of knowing. I find no difficulty in having both of those coexist within me at any given moment, including right now. In that way, science becomes not only a way of discovering the natural world, but also a way of worshiping a god who had something to do with getting the whole thing going. My view, as far as evolution, is it's the only way to understand biology. It is absolutely incontrovertibly true in terms of our descent from a common ancestor. But I'm a theistic evolutionist. 
if God chose to use that mechanism to create you and me and everything else we see on this wonderful planet, who are we to say that wasn't an elegant means of creation? It's an incredibly elegant way to accomplish the goal. And for God, who is not limited in space or time, the apparent randomness of the process to us, because we're limited on that time axis, is not randomness to him. So for me, the God of the genome is also the God of the Bible. You can find him in a cathedral, or you can find him in a laboratory. And I am deeply troubled by the polarization that exists right now, especially in this country, between the extreme perspectives, which say there can be no God because evolution has disproved it, and the creationist view, which says evolution has to be wrong, and you have to disbelieve what science is telling you with great, compelling rigor. There needs to be a recovery of the middle ground, where we always were down through the centuries, and which we seem to have lost in recent times, not because we just decide it's too awkward to have the conversation, but because the conversation leads us to a happy harmony, which is where I have found great peace and great comfort. We're going to open up uh, this debate to those of you in the audience. Um, and so if you want to start assembling at these microphones, uh, you can start doing that right now. Meanwhile, you know, as you hear this debate, so often you hear that scientists are really concerned that the power of religious groups is blocking further scientific research. Is that something, Dr. Carson, that you're concerned about, a trend in that direction? Well, there's no question that uh, one has to, to recognize that there is a difference between faith, which is, I think, what uh, Dr. Collins was talking about, and religion. Uh, two very different things. And, you know, over the course of history, uh, many religions have sprung up uh, that really don't have a whole lot to do with my personal concept of a loving creator. They have a lot to do with how do you control people and how do you acquire power onto yourself. And uh, this continues to be the case today. And uh, I think, uh, you know, the religious bodies have to be held to a higher standard. They do, in fact, have to deal with logic. Uh, they do have to deal with the things that are placed on the table uh, by the evolutionists as well as other people. But I would caution and say also that the people who try to discard God on the, on the basis of not being able to prove that he exists are not taking into consideration the fact that we have this, this higher uh, cognitive portion of our brain that no other creature seems to have. Why do we have these incredible frontal lobes? Um, because we have the ability to extract information and to process information and to project information we're the only creatures who can sit here and say, I'm going to envision a plan for five years from now, for 10 years from now, and I'm going to uh, execute a series of steps to make sure that that comes to fruition. That requires way more than can be explained on the basis of cellular biology. Let's get the atheists to jump in here. Well, I would like to ask. <laughs> I would like to ask Dr. Carson then, at what point in the evolutionary divergence between the common ancestor of us and chimpanzees or us and, say, rhesus monkeys, did this human faculty arise? And why do you need to postulate, given that presumably you believe in evolution, um, why do you need to, why, why do you, how do you reconcile the fact of evolution, because it is a fact, 
um, with the, um, the separation which you seem to be wanting to... Well, well, thank you for asking that question, because, in fact, I don't believe in evolution. Uh, so that... Ah, so Dr. Collins and you can have a discussion about we, that. We can, yeah. but... Uh, and I'll tell you the reason why. Um, the ev evolution says that because there are these similarities, even though we can't specifically connect them, uh, it proves that this is what happened. Well, it, let's say somebody came here from another planet uh, after our planet has been destroyed by you know, terrorism and nuclear weapons and everything, and they find you know, some, some Volkswagens and they find some Rolls Royces. And they look at them and they say, wow, these are really very similar. And you know, they all have uh, wheels and a transmission engine. Obviously, this Rolls-Royce is much more sophisticated. It must have evolved from this Volkswagen. And if we look hard enough, we can find all the little things that will show us exactly how that evolution occurred. Well, you know, you're welcome to believe that. I simply don't. Doesn't make you into a bad person because you believe that. Uh, <laughs> and, it, and it doesn't make me into a good person because I don't believe it. But the, the point being, you know, there are many different ways uh, to look at these things. And Darwin himself, as you know, said that we would eventually have a mechanism, uh, we would be sophisticated enough geologically to show completely the lineage from an amoeba to a man. He said it would probably take 50 to 100 years. Uh, well, it's been 150 years, we still haven't found it. I suspect maybe one day you will. When you do find it, I will be all ears. Dr. Dennett, you want to jump in there? Yeah, I, I'm interested that both Dr. Carson and, and Dr. Collins say that there's something that they think couldn't evolve, uh, or, or at least that leads, leads Dr. Collins to, to say, that's my reason for believing in God. He, he cites our moral sense, and, and Dr. Carson cites our capacity to plan. But in fact, we have a lot of excellent research on the evolution of the moral sense, on the evolution of cooperation, and on the evolution of, the, of cognitive capacities to plan. So that the discontinuities that both of them see, they are important discontinuities with the rest, with the rest of the biosphere, for sure. But they're precisely the areas where we, we are developing good evolutionary accounts. And the big difference, I think uh, uh, Dr. Carson's sort of parody of, of, of evolutionary uh, research is that evolution, again and again, it doesn't just find another fossil. It makes predictions that are then borne out, stunning predictions that are borne out again and again across the world. We had a, actually a sort of few examples of that from, from in, in uh, Spencer Wells' talk. That's not just filling in the gaps. That's, that's the real test of science, is being able to come up with novel predictions. And they happen every day by the hundreds. Dr. Collins. So I certainly respect the views being expressed. But let me say that this last couple of uh, points seems to commit uh, the, the error of applying in a very rigorous scientific way arguments about faith. I would call that scientism. What more important questions do we humans have to answer than, is there a God? Does he care about me? Why are we all here? What happens after we die? Is it not immediately apparent that science is poorly designed to answer those questions? 
And similarly, I would say science is poorly designed to assess the truth or falsity of faith. Surely one can look at the history of religions and you can draw parallels between various belief systems, but I don't believe that will help you very much in deciding whether faith is true or false because that series of intellectual approaches is not designed to tackle the issue that you most want to know about.